0: How's it going, everybody? This is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind Podcast. Check us out on iTunes under BTBN, Um, social media, all that good stuff. It's BTBN. And um, we're doing the Duck Call giveaway. It's one that I turned. As you've heard by now, it's one that I wanted to keep. It matched my collection perfectly. It was a really nice, spalted piece of Buckeye burl. And uh, I wanted to be selfish, But I'll give it away to you guys instead. This is episode 22, I believe, every episode. I just have this weird thing. I don't remember where it is, what it is. But I believe this is 22. I want to give it away on 25. So I have a few days to finish up some episodes. And uh, we'll give it away at the beginning of June through Facebook. So check out the BTBN Facebook page. And uh, you'll see a picture of the call go ahead and subscribe on iTunes leave us a review it doesn't matter if it's five stars one stars whatever the hell you think this thing is worth to you I just want you to leave a review put the duck call in the title jump on Facebook and if you share an episode make sure you comment on that post which episode you share and uh, it'll be an extra entry into the giveaway so anyway today I've got Alex your guest on um, from Pacific from Pacific calls Jesus. And uh, he's out just outside of Spokane, Washington. And, uh, man, he's really been cranking up the customs lately, so I've been pretty excited for this one. And uh, how you doing today, man?
1: Hey, bro, I'm doing all right, man. Excited to uh, excited to be on the show. Thanks for hitting me up. You know, I don't, uh, don't get to do very many
0: celebrity appearances with, uh, with some custom guys, so it's kind of fun. Well, this is hardly a, a celebrity <laughs> deal, but, <laughs> man, well, it's I'm
1: just... You can't say that. My uh, my my first uh, one of the first ones that I got to you know back to hand turning just this last month. I had hopped on Facebook and saw your stipple pattern up there on one of your customs and was literally just like, well, "Yep, gotta go buy a Dremel. Let's go try this." <laughs> just literally stippled it right after I got done looking at your call.
0: Is it the way that it it was laid out on the call? Or... <laughs>
1: Or was nah, it- man, I mean, you know, for, for me I had I turned out this uh, you know, this little Ash Burl, um, you know, little single read and uh, I was uh, you know just kinda of looking at it. And I put a brass band on, and it was just, you know, at that point, a, you know, a, a flat, straight-off, you know, run-of-the-mill, half-inch-wide brass band, and I was just kind of unimpressed with it, and it was like, oh, man, this looks good, but it's not, it's not killer, and so I hopped on Facebook, and literally the first, the first thing that popped up was one of these, you know, 50 BTBN, you know, little, hey, here's the new podcast thing, and it showed your giveaway call, and had some stippling on it, and I was like, oh, oh, okay, now this might do it, and so I... Tried to stipple the brass band, blew that up, had to, you know, turn it off and then put a put an ABW one on there and stippled it out and was like, oh okay, yeah, now now I can sell this. This
0: looks okay. <laughs> Dude, I love stippling wood, specifically ABW. It just it takes the uh the pattern so well. I hate doing brass and metal and stuff like that because you have to have that real steady hand or it'll freaking catch and run on you. I was talking to samples a couple weeks ago and he's talking about carving on metal and he's like he's like I just have to lock my hand in place because it'll take (laughs) off on you but I appreciate that man
1: no, yeah you no, know, man, it's a beautiful work and it was uh, it was kinda like I said, kinda fun to hop on there and then you know, I, <laughs> then you messaged me about being on this and I was like, Oh man, I bet he's gonna call me out on my stipple on a band. Oh no. No,
0: <laughs> no, man. If uh I am probably the thousandth person to put that stippling on a band like that. And uh I don't know, man. I've the way that I always look at it is I see guys making calls, and I don't want to go out and copy something, but I take inspiration from a lot of things. I use oh. a, a lot of blackwood wood with uh, my inserts, tips, and uh, bands and stuff like that. And that's something that I, I really loved when I saw Brad Sample's calls he was the first guy that was really heavy heavy using that at the time that i first started following him i was like i love that style i'm gonna go out and try to find something to make it my own so that's kind of that uh that pattern i've adopted
1: yeah no i mean i'm you know i'm still fresh in the game enough that uh, you know from the from the custom standpoint anyway like yeah, it was like, oh, look at these cool stipple patterns. Like, oh, it's got a little bit of a herringbone. Oh, it's got a little squiggle. Oh, it's got a it's got a tight wave. And I'm like, ah, uh, man, I just hit the randomizer and literally just like z- 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 all over the place. And I was like, mm, that one went too deep. Yep, let's start over. So, I mean, it's definitely uh, as I've gotten more into you know doing that kind of thing, you know, seeing that there's a lot more technique than just you know getting one of those. Uh, little carving bits and you know kind of letting it run all over hell it's
0: uh it's been fun man there's um there's a couple of different ways when i first started out i was doing like almost like the dab touch almost like your tig welding i don't know if you've ever done that yeah but it's like that dab and then you move to the next one and it just builds like that depth and uh you like have a circle and then you hit the edges of the next circle and it builds that like hammered look and everybody does that and i tried to find something that was kind of my own And if you look at like my inserts or uh, on like an African Blackwood barrel, I have a few of them, I make like little zigzags to where it's almost like a yeah. little maze where it like curls exactly. in. It, it,
1: it flows together so well that, I mean, it's all you're looking at it, it's like, man, it's like a puzzle. That he's yeah, yeah. like, sat here and like figured out how to lay in here. because man, I, I mean, there's tedious and then there's just downright painful.
0: Well, what I almost do is like kind of small little S's and I'll wrap them into each other and it was totally on accident. I had a bit going dull. <laughs> and it wasn't making clear little clean circles (laughs) so so i was like rolling it as i was pushing in the bit i was rolling the insert towards me as i was pushing the bit away doing the little like the s's i was like hell i kind of like this a lot actually
1: so you know it's just that
0: trial and error
1: Oh man! And some of the some of the best things that have you know come out of you know my shop or some of those were you know straight up mistakes that just ended up working out and it was like oh I actually did better than what I was planning and so it, you know it, 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 sometimes it just works.
0: Well, I know that you guys have been doing a lot of big stuff. You run the CNCs and stuff like that, and you guys you're one of the bigger call makers, man. You and uh, Trev just put out a crap ton of really nice calls. And I don't know if it was maybe the difference in time of when you were starting versus when I jumped into it and followed it. Maybe I I just missed it. But it seems like you've really hit the customs up since uh, this Corona stuff kicked off. And the work is like, dude, he's been making customs for freaking 10 years. Like the quality of everything is just phenomenal. And I don't know if that's like something recent that you really got back into or were you doing that beforehand?
1: Oh uh, I mean it definitely was, you know, kind of the beforehand thing. We have, you know, very much so uh, the you know quintessential call-maker story of you know, in in the backyard on, you know, the cheap harbor freight lane, then it, you know, went to the garage and then you know, kinda of go from there. So you know, Trevor and myself both have a you know a pretty extensive handmade background, um, but you know as we expanded and we got bigger, um, you know goals and ambitions kind of changed, and so we gravitated more towards the CNC stuff. And then you know you kind of hit the nail on the head, man. With uh, you know, as far as day jobs go, you know, Trevor's a real estate agent, and so he didn't really slow down. You know, and actually, part of it you know got busier. Everybody wanted to get stuff done, and you know myself, man, I teach drivers ed, and so when they canceled all the schools, that pretty much nullified my day job for the last you know 90-ish days and so I had a lot of extra time on my hands and was like you know let's just give this a whirl man let's see what happens so i took a bunch of the random you know wood blanks and crap that we had laying around here and just pulled out all the old tools from underneath the bench and you know hit them on the belt sander to sharpen them up and just started making chips and you know hey man, i guess the, the hands don't forget dude
0: it's it's ridiculous well not first of all being in that your job the driver ed i know uh my kids went on spring break and then never came back, and my girlfriend works at their school. She's the uh, behavioral therapist and counselor, and it was, like, the same for her, man. She, uh, she'll she be at home during the day doing, like, Zoom meetings with her different kids and stuff that she's, you know, seen throughout the year. But other than that, she's house-locked, and uh, I can't imagine, you know, uh, work for me really hasn't changed too much. My days have stayed about the same, but... I can't imagine being home, but that has definitely got to be a benefit of being able to get back out and uh, tinker with the calls, man, and like I, like I said, it it looks like you've never missed a beat. Your stuff is so phenomenal, and I was like, damn, dude, I didn't know Alex could freaking do that. Like I knew, obviously, you made a great duck call, but it was like, the stuff you're doing is up there with anybody in the game right now.
1: Oh man, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, even just going through your uh, you know list of previous guys, I was like, man, do I, like, is this guy sure he wants to talk to me? Cause like, know, there's a lot of guys on this list, but holy crap, man. <laughs> they're uh, they're way above and beyond whatever you know we've been, whatever we've been able to do as far as you know the custom market side of it goes. And so it's uh, yeah, it, it's kind of humbling, you know, in a way, but like. Yeah, man, we've been, we've been having a good time and, you know, luckily the uh, connections for me as far as, you know, the, the CNC side of life and the guys that I get to talk to, um, you know, it kind of kept me up to date in a lot of what guys were doing, you know, techniques, you're always, you know, still kind of into it, um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, whether time would, uh, you know, time would allow
0: Well, and that's another thing is you have a really interesting outlook and experience versus a lot of the guys that I've had on here and a lot of different guys that I've known through the call-making world because you went from doing what we're doing, you know, being out in the shop, being in a garage, turning, like you said, on the cheap harbor freight lathe, the little jet lathe, whatever you got going on, to uh, going to, man, that big you guys are big, man. Pacific is big. Everybody knows Pacific. It's one of the companies out there that has really taken off. So you have that perspective of what some guys really want to get into, and um, it seems like everybody that's ever made calls. I know at a time I was like, man, I want to be that big. And now that I I took a while and burnt myself out doing a lot of customs, I was like, there's no way I'd ever want to ever want to do this thing full time. Like that that dream sailed. I like doing it whenever I have time, but you have that perspective of, I know you, you have the full-time job still, but, um, you know, just taking it to the CNC, blowing up. What was that like? Tell me the transition from going from the shop and the uh, the garage or at your buddy's house to really, really when it took off. When was that moment? Oh,
1: well, I mean, you know, for us, man, that was probably about, you know, 2000, 2014. Um, you know, we were kind of kind of milling around we you know had experienced you know a little bit of success and you know it's kind of funny you know bring up stuff like this because like the region that i'm in compared to even you know the majority of guys that are on you know your podcast i mean you know if you go down the central Flyway, i mean there's you know a call maker you know every it seems like you know within a 10 mile radius of each other all over the place i mean you start getting into like meredith and Whitson and shelly you know and all those guys that are blowing up and it's like oh man you guys are close enough you can just go and like hang out at each other's houses on the weekends you know my my closest call maker to me is three and a half hours away
0: yeah and And see that's one thing I've always been so jealous of I live like four and a half hours from Meredith and you know i've got uh, a couple guys in kansas city and a couple guys further south in arkansas but right here i'm i'm somewhat in no man's land being 4 or 5 hours is just far enough away to be kind of a pain in the butt to travel that far but yeah i've always been so jealous of those guys that are like oh yeah i'm 15 miles from this guy who's another world class <laughs> car maker you know yeah, i mean you know, and for us you know being out here and not having
1: you know that that necessarily you know like Real stiff competition was, you know, a, kind of a, I know, in a, in a way, a leg up for us, you know, and we, we got started doing mostly goose calls and then kind of transitioned to the duck thing. Um, but, it, you know, like around, you know, 2014 or so, we had, you know, gotten to the level where we couldn't necessarily, you know, justify the amount of time it was taking to do everything by hand. Um, you know, the, the whole operation was based out of my house at that point and, you know, got, me and my wife popped out baby number one. And, the shop was there for still, you know, that same, <laughs> that same about six or eight months, and then we started trying for number two, and then when she got, you know, number two in the belly, she was like, uh, "You guys got to get the hell out of here." And I mean, it was, you know, a lot of the same things like what, uh, you know, what Winger was talking about. You know, I lived in lives in the suburbs, and so we're out there, you know, blowing on duck calls. I've got neighbors coming over, and you know, like we we had one come to, you know, damn <laughs> near a straight street fight in my driveway because the guy was like you got to stop this and it, it just kind of got nasty and so you know we took it upon ourselves to you know find a commercial space and you know after we found that first commercial space it was about 900 square feet uh things kept going right and then uh, we just sat down and did the math and we're like you know hey we're paying this amount of money going out and if we were to take this on it could be you know this amount of money going out and Putting those two together, we decided to you know take the leap and buy the equipment, and uh, you know I can tell you we were uh, <laughs> really, really almost dumb for doing it you know the way that we did because uh, we had some. I'm going to call them misconceptions about, you know, everything that would go into the CNC machining side of life. And, uh, it's, you know, and I think that's also part of the reason, you know, why some guys have a lot of you know, negativity towards, but they just don't understand, you know, everything that necessarily does go into it. You know, they think you can just walk up, hold the call up next to it, and, you know, just scans it and spits it out. And it's like, a, you know, an easy bake oven more or less. And it's like, oh man, that's, that's what we kind of thought. And then, uh, you know, kind of got our head run, run through the ringer on that one. Took a took a pretty rough year and a half to get everything figured out, and then, uh, after so that, it's just kind of been—I'm not going to say smooth sailing, but you know, it uh, definitely flipped the flip switch, and uh, we were able to, you know, make it work for us.
0: Was it? Um, I'm trying to jog my memory. I, I talked to you about Big Honker. Did you talk oh, yeah. about how you uh you learned the CNC by sneaking in? Yeah. To a class on Big yeah,
1: man. I, You know, the, the, the community college gets mad when I tell them all about that because of, like, security and weird stuff. But, uh, <laughs> no, we, we, uh, you know, we, you know, it actually, you know, did happen. We were uh, messing around here, and it was uh, it was about the fifth day after the CNC machine had landed there. And, I mean, we were so, so fresh out of the truck, man, when they when dropped it off and, you know, and they put it in my shop, we looked at the guy and said, what was a power cord? And the guy looked at me like, oh, kid. You got to be kidding. And I mean, we had no idea, you know, oh, hey, you need, you know, three phase power, you need this, you need that. And then when it came to actually programming the darn thing, I was like, uh, yeah, how does, how does that work? And so I was on YouTube, I was, you know, calling everybody that I knew, and we were trying to do anything to make this machine work. Yeah, and so yeah. it was, I, it was a very, very difficult daunting you know period like i, I remember trying to straight up looking at me he goes do we need to send it back like, no, <laughs> we, we, we will figure this out don't you worry and so yeah i you know just gotta you know teaching driver's ed you're dealing with you know kids that are in um oh, you know like like running start in different programs you know they're offered through the community college and i was uh just you know just sitting around and uh literally thought to myself like Hey, I know a bunch of the kids that you know go to like Running Start and all this other stuff. Let's just go down to the community college and you know see what happens. And so I went down there, sat down in the in the room where the machining stuff was going on, and I just literally started asking all the kids, like, "Hey, you know anything about you know this machine, that machine, this?" Machine? And just all these different questions. And it took it took about about ten days um, before the you know professor was finally like, "Dude, what the hell are you doing here?" And then I you know kind of told him our whole <laughs> feel of, you know, what was going on. And, uh, you know, he was like, okay, look, come over to my place. And he actually ran his own job shop out of, you know, his home thing. And he, he showed me a few things and, you know, we kind of you know, got going on stuff. And then it just, it just kind of spitballs from there. But, I mean, from the day we bought the machine, almost three months to the date that it arrived was the first time that I got a part off of
0: it. Oh, my God. What? I can only imagine what your wife said when you were like Okay, so I bought this fifty thousand dollars paperweight that I don't know what the hell to do with.
1: Oh, she—I mean, she was livid. I was spending, you know, every waking moment that I could, you know, at the shop at that point, and you know, at that point where I was with my other job, I was know still there, you know, you know, near forty to fifty hours a week. I was the head instructors, and so it was just a constant grind, and you know, it definitely—it took a toll on everybody, you know, that's for sure. But we definitely, you know, appreciate you know the effort that we had to. Put into it, and uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't a, wasn't an easy button, you know, kind of scenario. So I sat down. We learned how to program everything longhand, out on its own, and it was just uh, yeah, it was like I said, an absolute grind. And then uh, you know, you started, you started learning how to be more efficient. You know, after you figure out how to you know, spin your first part, but it definitely takes some grinding.
0: Yeah, man, I can. It's just stuff like that, and what you said earlier is so many guys look down on CNC because. There's a lot of guys that'll go out there and they'll send their their stuff off to a guy that CNCs it and they'll never see it and they'll get the box of parts back and then they'll polish them up, throw a band on, do a little tuning, and hopefully this brings some light to the guys that go out there and actually you know do what you did. I have an extreme amount of respect for every call maker. Because it's just doers, you know. I, I say it on so many different podcasts. We're just a group of doers, and we're like, it's calculated, but it's like, you know, fuck with this. Let's throw caution to the wind and let's do it. And something that you've done, man, that's just, it's mind-boggling to me. I, I Sometimes I get paralyzation by analyzation, and I can imagine that was just like... Chewing your nails down to stubs every day,
1: you know? Oh, man, yeah, no. and I mean, it, you know, it was just, it was one of those, one of those times, that period, um, you know, in the for Forest, that it was just, you couldn't do, you know, you couldn't do anything right. And every time you tried to do something, it just, you know, related to, you know, bigger disasters. And so, you know, like, oh, hey, your building doesn't have three-phase. Well, what do you mean my building doesn't have three-phase? It's a commercial complex. Like, well, no, you just don't have it in your building. It's on everybody else's, but you don't have it here. Well, how much is that going to cost? you know, well, $20,000, and it's like, <laughs> God, no, so then we got a phase converter. Well, the guy that built my phase converter, because nobody told me you could just get him off the internet, I just found a dude down the street, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'll build one of those. It pumped so much juice out the wrong way, after a month of having the machine, I turned it on, and it fried all the boards in the back, and oh. so it was like, oh, was <laughs> just one disaster after another, and then... Tooling was a whole nother, you know, issue, and it just, it really, it really hit home the point of like, hey, if you're gonna make a big move, make sure you really do your research before.
0: <laughs> <You're> right, <laughs> and like, right, and ah, plan that and contingency, just, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, and, and at that point for us, man, you know, there was no contingency. We weren't. Brand new into our new commercial space, we were you know just trying to trying to pump it and make it go as hard as we can, and uh, you know l- luckily it struck out. But uh, you know I can tell you there was about a year and a half there that was like, are we really doing this or like what or, or <laughs> oh
0: god, oh man, I can't even imagine like it the amount of stress that that is. It's giving me just thinking about it, it and I'm sure every other call maker that's like, oh maybe I'll do this is like, nah no, nah, f that game. <laughs>
1: No, I'm like, you know, like said, you know the, and the call community in general you know is, is pretty supportive you know as far as like you know hey man you can call a guy and you know ask him about you know how, how do you do this inlay or you know how, all these different techniques the machining is really not that way. So I mean if you you just you know pull up and say, hey, I bought myself a hoss who wants to show me how to run it It's crickets.
0: Yeah well, I worked at a, uh, a remanufacturing shop and we revo- rebuilt turbochargers. And we had three big old freaking hosses, and dude, it was six months on the job being trained how to run one of those suckers. And that wasn't my job. I ran one of the CNCs that like uh, rebalanced the turbo, and I was like, Psh, I want nothing to do with that down there because those guys were always pissed off. Yeah, man, it's <laughs> a
1: it's a common thing. That's usually why the alcohol consumption is so high. It's
0: like it is what it is. Yeah, man. So what? um... You're out there in the far eastern part of uh, Washington, which it's all pretty, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you're on the other side of uh, uh man, <coughs> I'm out here in the shop and breathing in dust, apparently. <coughs> uh, you're out there on the uh, other side of the mountains, it's a lot of like ag land and stuff like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when you when you get into the Spokane, um, you know, kind of corridor, it's definitely more of that. Uh, I, you know, they call it like channelled scabland right? Where it's just like sagebrush and bull pine everywhere you look. But as you get you know a little bit further southwest of us, then you start getting into, you know, some of the some of the prime stuff. You know, through the Columbia Basin and the big irrigation projects that they have down there, and the the amount of agricultural land farming operation that goes through in the center of the state is is pretty impressive.
0: All right, brother. Sorry about that for everybody oh, man, who's good. uh. Don't
1: worry. Get, get me enough time to go get another brewski. We're good.
0: <laughs> yeah, For everybody's not for everybody who's <laughs> listening and didn't hear the pause. I about died on something apparently, so I had to get me a little little drinky. Uh, normally I have a couple beers sitting here, you know, on standby, but
1: oh man it does help
0: this time i didn't for some reason and it's just foolish (laughs) um but yeah you were talking about that uh spokane valley and how it's ag land what is the the pressure out there like how many is it is it heavily populated in that one little area
1: yeah i mean you know like spokane is you know more or less uh I guess you'd call it, you know, an oasis out here. Um, you know, you, you start heading out, you know, different directions from us, and, you know, there's not a lot that is, you know, a, like a densely populated area. I think Spokane's actually the second or third largest city in the state of Washington, um, you know, and so it's it's kind of a, you know, a misnomer, but you start getting outside of Spokane, you're into, you know, Bikini and you know the Sprague Lake area stuff like that, and it starts to become you know more of that you know dryland, you know like winter wheat, you know that kind of stuff. Not a lot of irrigated crops as you get further you know southwest of us. You start dropping into the you know Columbia Basin where they have all of the you know Army Corps of Engineers you know like irrigation practices, and they're you know tapping in and out of the Columbia, and pumping water everywhere. And so that's when you get into the you know the irrigated croplands, and you know most Because the corn and, you know, really really fun stuff to go chase birds in.
0: Do you guys have, like, a lot of uh, water shortages out there?
1: No, I mean, you know, for us, man, I think Washington, you know, produces a huge part of the, uh, you know, hydroelectric power that's everywhere, and there's no shortages of rivers, you know, and things like that. Um, So, you know, we we do have a a fair amount of public opportunities, um, but like I said, a lot of those are more situated towards the center of the state instead of out where we are.
0: Okay, okay. I was just thinking because uh, my buddy lives right on the Colorado-Kansas line, which is nowhere near where you're at. But you go through Kansas and, I, you know, be in Missouri, and then you think of Colorado and there's, you know, just water everywhere. And I got out to his place and I woke up the first morning after driving out there and I couldn't hardly breathe and my throat was dry. And I was like, dude, it is so dry out here. You would never expect it. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's technically a desert. I was like, in Colorado? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, on this side of Colorado. It's a desert. And I was yeah, like, it just blew, that blew my and mind.
1: All that from and all that shield from the Rockies and all that i call that rain shadow or something like that. Like it's, and it is kind of similar for you know our area. It's a fairly arid climate. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of relative humidity. You don't have you know, a ton of rainfall, um, but you know we do have some some pretty big rivers that flow through our area. And like I said, if you get to the center of the state where they have all of the uh, you know like the irrigation practices, I mean, you mean know, the Columbia River, you know all that stuff kind of flows together. So there's there's a lot of opportunity to do stuff with all the reservoirs and things that they have in order to make that function um but you know as i said it's mo- mostly all of our irrigated crop stuff is going to be towards the center of the state
0: got you got you so did you grow up hunting fields and stuff like that
1: <laughs> no nah, man you know i actually uh, you know my even my even my hunting background story is you know, kind of kind of a goofy one i uh I actually did not uh, hunt my first bird until my uh, sophomore year of college, and so you know I was a, I was a huge jock going through high school. You know I loved to love to play team sports and did all that stuff and digging into football. And so um, you know there wasn't a lot of extra time to do other things, and uh, you know hunting wasn't some the hunting waterfowl anyway was something that, you know my family wasn't really into at the time. Well, after my uh, after my sophomore year of college, my my grandmother passed away, and we. Had to go down and clean out her house and all that stuff. And I remember opening up her attic and she had all of this cool waterfowl stuff. Like, I have papier-mâché pit lids where they would stick their heads up into the goose bodies and be able to look out and everything, you know? And duffers and all this weird stuff. And I'm, like, asking my mom at that point, like, what the hell is all this? And she was like, your grandmother used to be a huge waterfowler. And so, like, I was able to go through, and she was, you know, very meticulous in history as well. So, like, she has all of her old logs of all the places that she hunted, all of the stuff and so, I just kind of looked at that and was like, "If this was such a huge part of what she did and what she enjoyed, I need to give this a shot." And so, kind of did the same thing then. Put on my fishing waders, went up, and my uh, my girlfriend at the time now wife, her grandparents' had a place, right on the side of the ponderate River, which is up here. And uh, I took the silhouette decoys that I found at Grandma's place put him out there, grabbed her old little, you know, two-hoot-flute call, and (laughs) killed my first goose. I was like, this is awesome!
0: Dude, that's so freaking cool. Was that, like, the only type of hunting you've, like, was that the first thing you started going out hunting?
1: Yeah, no, 100%, man. I, You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of patience for things like big game, and so, you know, waterfowl, just it kinda it kinda spoke to me on that, you know, different level and uh, you know, it's nothing against you know, big game stuff, but it just wasn't it, it didn't call at me like the waterfowl stuff did.
0: Yeah, I totally I'm with you man. I uh, I'm from Missouri and I've told this before on past podcasts. My my pops grew up as a deer hunter, loved deer hunting, always tried to take me out to the deer woods and I am I can't sit still. I'm, number one, I'm a workaholic now as I'm an adult, but uh, I can't sit <laughs> yeah. still as a kid. And I was like, "This sucks." Like, <laughs> you mean I have to no, be yeah, quiet? Exactly.
1: We're gonna go out here and sit in a tree. You can't move. Can't bark. Can't eat. Just sit. Yeah. <laughs> like uh you know i'm good like at least you can be up running around doing everything and it's like oh god birds and he ducked down and you still got a damn good shot so it was like all right man this is this is my kind of
0: sport yeah and i'm the same way man i uh i didn't get into it until i was in my early 20s and uh i actually went out that season when i first got back to missouri and uh i went turkey hunting with my buddy and you know, shot my first bird, and then I went deer hunting a month later, and shot my first freaking deer. <laughs> and I was like, "All right, what the hell am I gonna do now?" You know, I always grew up loving the outdoors, and I grew up. Uh, my dad had beagles as well, so he was always big into going out and chasing rabbits. So I loved that because it was fast-paced, and I was like, "Turkey hunting's cool." Deer hunting, I, I, it was over the very first day. I you know, shot something opening morning. I didn't care what it was. And I was like, all right, this kind of sucks. It's good to eat. but. Uh... And my other buddy was like, well, why don't we go out and go waterfowling? And I was like, I don't know shit about waterfowling, but sure, why not? And uh, I think I shot... A box of shells, my third hunt, and shot my first duck. <laughs> and I was like, this is awesome, dude. This is this is where it's at. This is rabbit hunting, you know? <laughs> and uh yeah, man, I got hooked ever since. That's god, it seems like a long time ago. But I I guess ten years, something like that. It's, it's been a minute. But uh yeah, so I can definitely understand not starting or er, uh starting late because growing up playing sports You know, I played freaking football, wrestling, track, and baseball. It's like, there's not time for that. Girls, cars, you know, there's more important stuff. exactly.
1: (laughs) You know, life is happening around you as well, so you're trying to balance all this stuff. And I mean, at that age, the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, wake up at 1 a.m. to go sit on the side of a freezing river to be like, yeah, Dad, this is fun. It's like, "Mm, I'm going to go throw the pigskin around and then go chase girls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, tell me about how does a, a guy that's in college pick up that first flute call, kill his first bird, so when does he start turning his first call and get into that? Tell me about how you got into the call-making aspect Well,
1: I mean, you know, for, for myself personally, it was, uh, you know, one of those things that I, you know, after you get that first little taste of success, and you know, I, I see it a lot in, you know, a lot of the young hunters that, you know, now we talk to, you know, you become immediately like obsessed with it. You know, you now you got that first bird. Now it's all about, you know, now I am gonna go kill limits. Now I need the best decoys. Now I need the best call. Now I need, you know, all this stuff. And so I fell directly, you know, into that trap. I'm, mean, you know, like two weeks later, I had, you know, every brand new Bill Saunders call hanging around my neck, had no idea what I was doing, loaded up the credit card full of every decoy that I possibly could have. And I mean, that, you know, those were still in the days of the forums. So I remember being. You know that kid hopping on there and being like, "So, do you guys, you know, set like a J hook, or is it more like a like a like a S or a broken T, or like, you know, what what are we talking about here about spreads?" And uh, you know, I, just, I was just eating it up, and so I, you know that that kind of you know I'll say snowballs for you know. Maybe maybe about two you know two years or so, um, you know I was blowing a call almost every single day and was just you know driving everybody nuts. And then uh, you know there was a local local kid here, a mutual friend, of Trevor and I's that I actually played baseball with in, on, a, you know, on a summer select team or whatever. And uh, I saw him on Facebook. He had a you know picture of a bunch of ducks around his neck. And I was like, holy shit! I'll, I'll call this guy. Let's you know hang out. Let's go try this stuff. Well, he and my business partner, Trevor, now, had kind of already started, you know, doing the whole, you know, barrel stuffer game, right? We're going to turn out wood barrels and cram echo inserts into them, and and we call ourselves specific calls. And so, you know, I kind of hopped in and uh, was like, hey, you know, let's go hunt, let's go have fun, let's go do this, like, get after it, and then it just kind of grew and, you know, that, that relationship started getting forged and before I knew it, like, we were you know, in my garage and you know, spinning different stuff and putting stuff together and it was like, you know, guys we can actually, like, maybe do this. And then, you know, another year goes by, you know, tinkering around and then, uh, you know, we incorporated in, uh, in 2011 and we were off to the races.
0: Dude, that's so cool. And you have another unique angle to it as a call maker, that a lot of guys that you know listen to this and follow it, I'm sure, and even myself personally, is you know you kick around ideas like that while you're out in the blind. You're like, man, I don't. Why don't we start guiding? Why don't we do a, a TV show? Why don't we start making calls? And you and Trevor are still together working on this, and I think that's really unique in the call making world. Is where guys actually stick together and they and they do this thing because most of us are just these weird you know night assassins that come out here in the middle of the night while everybody else is asleep and start turning calls and it's kind of a an alone time but you have a really unique perspective of where you're out there doing it with one of your best buddies man so that's really cool.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, everybody always has that old adage, right? Like, you know, hey, you know, don't do business with friends, you know, or something like that. And you know, Trevor and myself, we've grown, you know, into you know, into better friends, um, you know, over the years. But you know, I can tell you, both have a skill set that you know complements each other, and so it's not a lot of you know two forces butting heads all the time and so you know for me and him the relationship has for lack of a better way of putting it has just has just always worked you know like hey if you show up we got a problem we can you know easily uh, you know attack it from different angles and you know and, and work together you know through the issues with you know the same common goal in mind and you know it's it's definitely helped us because you know i talk to a fair amount of guys too, you know, I mean, the, you know, the caps, the Stelzners, you know, a lot of, you know, one man bands. And I, you know, just like you said, man, you get burned out, you know, on a certain, on a certain aspect of one thing, if that's all you're grinding on, you know, day in and day out. And so, you know, if you have somebody else that you can, you know, kind of give you that up, you, you give you that workload up with or say, you know, hey man, you're good at this, you do that, you're better at that, you go do that. You can, you know, kind of attack on on a few more angles and, you know, still not spread yourself too thin.
0: Yeah, and that's, that team aspect, and I'm sure it helps, you know, you guys keeping each other checked out and, like, is there, there has to be disagreements and stuff like that working with, working with somebody else like, you know, having different ideas of how to attack things, do you guys usually agree on that stuff, or is it kind of like he has this responsibility and you have this responsibility and you help each other out, you know, when you need help with the other situation
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I would say that our approach is definitely more of the, uh, more of the segmented you know, approach as far as like, hey, when it comes to, you know, like our, our Slade Northwest videos, you know, for example, you know, we, we go out and we do those. We love filming. We do all that stuff. You know, Trev is a, a, a professional guide through the majority of the hunting season. Myself, I'm that, you know, weekend warrior. I'm happy to, you know, hang out at the boat ramp at midnight unless, you know, let's go grind it out on the river, you know, kind of feel. And he's like, you know, man, I can appreciate that, but we're paying to film this one. How about we go with me? And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I think you're right there. Yeah, you've you're probably got a better idea. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of mutual respect when it comes to our, you know, in individual, you know, aspects of what we can do. And so, you know, I mean, for, for me and him and, you know, the hunting aspect of things, it's like, you know, I'm happy to throw my opinion out there, but it's like if Tripp says, you know, hey, this is, this is our best option, I don't look at it and say, well, the wind says it's going the wrong way, so you're wrong.
0: <laughs> well, and that's just kind of man it's the same way i met one of my very best buddies and he was he lived like five miles south of me at the time and he's pretty well known in our region as you know he's just he freaking duck hunts and hunts year round he, he he's crazy and uh his name's david taylor but uh He's somebody that I met when I first started getting into filming. We filmed uh, a little local TV show. It was nothing too big or anything fancy like that. And I was looking for guys to help me. I had my little group of guys, but I wanted to expand and, uh, you know, just get more resources. It's kind of like like you said, if you want to do something, you want to be the best at it. So you have to reach out to other guys and try to figure out stuff. And... Um, it was, we, uh, we've we been friends now for like eight years, and every now and then we'll still butt heads with, uh, you know, hunting situations or what we we're going to do with the show. So it, it's just that give and take sometimes that it makes it interesting, but it like you said, it just builds a better friendship.
1: Oh, hey, man, like I said, you know, you got you to be willing, you know, to, you know to, to accept the criticism, and, you know, it's never a bad thing to get, you know, a fresh perspective, and so, like, we, we've definitely developed that relationship with each other, you know, amongst those things, and like I said, man, we've been, you know, we've been partners now for, you know, well, you know, well into the 10-year mark, and, you know, known each other now for, you know, well over 11, you know, when you've been through as many life events as, you know, you, you can possibly, you know, imagine people from, you know, oh, your first kids showing up, you know, to getting married, to doing all these different things, like, there's you know there's definitely that you know friendship side of stuff that comes out and a trust level that you you know this isn't just some dude that gave me money and now business partners it's like we you know we know that we've got each other's backs when it comes to you know the nitty-gritty stuff so like we'll just wade through all the BS and let's get down to what how is this going to be successful and you know for us it's, it's it's just worked
0: very cool. How'd you guys? How'd you guys meet? How'd you guys get together? Well, he's gonna be mad when he hears this and tell the story. So,
1: my buddy Aaron, right, was the was the you know third the third wheel, you know, in this scenario. So, you know, Aaron and Trevor had you know been chumming around and been hunting together, and they kind of started this you know specific thing. Well, I'm over at Aaron's place, and he's like, "Hey, you got to meet Trev." Well, you know, at that point, we were you know we're all in college, we're doing different stuff. So, you know, I'm over at Aaron's house, I'm getting ready to you know meet the other the other portion of this you know company that I'm kind of trying to be involved with and doing other stuff. <laughs> and this kid rolls out of his truck and I mean he opened the door and I'm you know twenty feet away and you can still smell the beer. <laughs> like, Oh man, <laughs> like, is this him? And he just kinda of stumbles over. It's just like, Are you hammered? And he's like, I'm just on over <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, uh, nice to meet you, I'm Alex, and he's like, yes, I mean, that's cool, he <laughs> totally blew me off, because he was just so messed up, at that point, um, but, I, you know, and it was one of those weird things, where, you know, afterwards, I'm like, Aaron, is that really, he's like, yeah, I mean, I you know, sorry like you know uh, it was just kind of this awkward thing but i mean you know now you look back and laugh on it but like first impression wise it was like oh this is this
0: is how this goes okay. <laughs> this guy likes to party i love it
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, i'd be remiss if i didn't say like oh you got another beer in the truck like you know, come on man let's <laughs> you know reciprocate but it was it yeah it was just one of those uh <laughs> one of those
0: defining moments <laughs> like okay you know, hey, this is what it is that's too freaking funny man well, how did you guys, uh, you said you got into some filming projects and stuff like that. Like, was that something that you always had an interest in as well? Or is that something that came through, like, when you were doing the call company? or like, how else can I promote this?
1: Uh, you know, a, a little bit of both. So, you know, going through high school, I uh, I was a super, you know, photo geek. And I had, you know, all kinds of, like, you know, hey, we going to be like, to, you know, shop black and white film, and, like, have my own, like, developing stuff, and, you know, like, we, I was pretty, I was pretty into it, you know, at that point, and so, um, you know, when it came time to, like, hey, we need to, you know, take pictures, we need to, you know, get the media out there and kind of, you know, show what this is at, you know, I was kind of on the on the forefront of that project, and so you know that gravitated to find you know different cameras, and you know then it was you know the, the next handy cam, and then it was oh hey that's great we recorded everything, but the audio sounds like we're in a five gallon bucket. So then that turned into this, and you know we started doing kind of our you know our own, I'll, I'll call it our own you know media you know media production. Well there's only so far you can go and you're you know, burning the candle, you know, not only both but like six others at the same time, and so it kind of hit this weird plateau I was like, man, it's you know, it's, it's okay, but it ain't great and like you know people are saying it's cool but it's not that cool and then uh, you know another group that was uh, over here in our state of you know, slate northwest they uh, they had a thing going um alex Bujalaki and uh you know mother and some of those other guys they actually went to school in montana and Mather is an amazing camera guy like he pursues it as a you know an actual career and profession he's paid 100 percent to do what he does and so they had this little thing going on. We hit a movie. We did a hunt together, which you know, search it. it's called Dark to Dark, and it was one of the first films that we put together as a you know as a co-op, and you know, the hits and everything went crazy, on it, and we were just like, dude, we got to keep doing this, and so you know we kind of partnered up with them, and uh, you know we managed to again maintain this great relationship with these guys and just kind of do a hunting thing that isn't like your typical, you know, hunting show. Because as soon as, you know, you tell me to go watch The foul Life or, you know, something else I'm expecting to see, you know, six seconds of hunting and 27 minutes of like, and I was able to shoot that bird because of this amazing heavy shot ammo. And it's like, okay, you know, come on, man, let's just go hunt. And so we attacked it with that perspective and uh you know it's been it's i think it's been a pretty big hit i think we get a lot of good feedback on it and i mean you know most of the videos are in that eight to twelve minute mark and they just kind of hit the sweet spot
0: man and that's something that uh you know because i did that tv show and you were talking about t- learning how to edit and stuff like that from my oh, yeah. own me and my buddies we we created you know our own little facebook group and i don't know we were you know getting caught up young hunters trying to figure stuff out and we're like, well, hell, let's call ourselves 417 Waterfowl. You know, why not? <laughs> and that just, it seemed like the thing that's our area code. and Just something that everybody does when they're younger in this Facebook oh, generation. Oh, yeah,
1: exactly. I bought two GoPros, man. We're going to make it rich. Exactly. There right, we go.
0: <laughs> well, hell, we, didn't even, we weren't even filming yet. We were just taking pictures and stuff like that. And uh, there happened to be another local TV show. And I lived out of the state for four years before it was even a thing. And my buddy was like, "Hey man, did you know that there's a 417 bow hunter show?" And I was like, "No, no, I hate bow hunting. I don't give a crap." <laughs> and he was like, "Well, I, I just didn't know if you know anything." Well, then like an hour later, I had the owner of that show calling me, and I was like, "Okay, cool man, what's up?" And he was like, "Well, I wanna I wanna get into uh, expanding my brand." I was like, "Okay, well, I don't know you. What are you saying?" He's like, "Well, do you wanna? Would you be interested in doing a TV show for me?" And I was like, well, heck oh, yeah! Well, fuck yeah, I will. Why not?" So, so I was like, "I don't know shit about filming. I I've ran a camera before, doing some you know some class projects, stuff like that." And I was like, "Sure. When is it got to be done?" "Oh, in five months. You have to have your first uh, thirteen episodes ready to air." And I was like cool why not (laughs) and mind you this is the middle of the summer so i was like realistically we have about two months of hunting season to get 13 episodes ready so dude it was a freaking nightmare so i did it that first year and uh it turns out i was not a fan of that gentleman at all and uh i i was like i'm not a i'm not sold on this dude but i know if i if i do it and i get my name out there and my product out there that I can do stuff in the future. So I did it that year, and then uh, I went to the station directly, and I talked to the head of the station. He was like, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you guys back. And I was like, well, I'm I'm changing brand names. I'm going to do it on my, on my own. I'm not going through him this year. And he's like, okay, that's cool. So uh, I had spent money. I had paid one of my buddies to edit my show the year before, and he has a, a show on the, the Pursuit channel and on Carbon, and he runs another local show. And he was kind of my mentor. He was uh, one of the Campbell camera guys. And he kind of oh, no. mentored me through the whole process. And uh, I was like, look, man, I can't afford to pay you what I paid you last year. Like, I, you know, I took a big loss on this thing. And it, it was way more money than I ever got back out of it. So I was like, I'm going to edit this thing myself this year. And he was like, well, what are you going to use to edit it? I was like, I don't know, but I have a MacBook, and I'm going to figure it the hell out. Yep. <laughs> <It> <laughs> Bring was, on the iMovie.
1: I, movie. I oh. a white transition left, a white transition right. Well, hell,
0: man. I got uh, into Premiere Pro, and it's just like call oh, making. It was like, oh, I'm going to do the best thing that I can. And I spent so much time on freaking YouTube trying to teach myself Premiere Pro and uh, uh-huh. just get better every week. And then... We have the Heartland uh, Waterfowl is just a couple hours north of us, so I reached out to Ronnie yep. Phillips and, you know, the different yeah, we guys. Know, that,
1: uh, we actually sponsored Heartland one year, um, you know, more than, a, more than a few years ago. It was during the same time that we were going to, you know, make a whole bunch of money and kill it with our new CNC machine. So, unfortunately, that, you know, didn't quite work out the way that we were hoping it to. But it was, uh, it was fun working with those guys for
0: sure. Yeah, man, they're, they're really good dudes, and... Uh, I reached out to them and tried to get any information I could and Crumb was giving me different ideas on uh, how to film stuff and you know just help fix like filming from a layout blind. There's never been anything that was on the market that was a perfect layout blind filming apparatus and uh, he was like well hell man I'll show you this thing that I came up with and it was actually like a welded square that you put underneath the layout blind. And then you attach uh, like a deer, like a, a round tube. And you put like a tree stand arm in there that guys use oh. for filming hunting. And he's like, you can pull it right up to the layout line. It's like a fluid head and all that stuff. And he's, I was like, dude, you should freaking take that crap to market because filming from a layout blind is a pain in the butt.
1: Oh man, there's nothing. There's nothing worse. I mean, I've done my done my fair share of like. Okay, this, this arm cramp's not going to work itself out for at least four or five days now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's just you're trying to stay fluid, but not and not get seen. So it was that was cool, and uh, we came up with some different stuff, but it, it was just kind of that same thing, man. I, I it wasn't fun anymore. I was spending way too much time burning the candle on both ends. And that's when I got done with that, decided I wasn't going to do it anymore, and I picked up call making, because I still wanted to be involved, workaholic, I went from 100 to zero in like a month, and uh, I took about a month off, and I was like, well, hell, I'll start dabbling in calls, I can do that at my own pace, and that's just yeah. kind of how I got into it, man. Oh, man, for sure. No, I mean, in the
1: call making circle, you know, in general, it's, just, it's such a cool, you know, like, community and different guys being around and you know doing stuff with it it's you know it's it's a lot of fun and you know this has you know for us anyway from you know from like a monetary gain yeah man sure like you know part of my you know take home salary is brought in you know by by what i do i can tell you it's a pretty minuscule amount enough that i still gotta work another job so it's not like anybody's you know making millions of dollars in the waterfowl industry. You know, there's no doubt about it. But the excuses that we've had to be able to go and do things, you know, like like Game Fair, you know, go meet guys in Texas, go, you know, and just expand your network of people through this call-making thing is, like, w- one of the coolest, like, non-monetary compensation things that you're going to be able to throw out there for anybody.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's my favorite part, man. It, specifically with dealing with just call-makers themselves, is uh you know just getting to talk to guys and troubleshoot and just think of different ideas and you end up just building that friendship with guys all over the country that if it wasn't for call making or waterfowling that you'd never meet, never talk to. And I've talked to a lot of guys that before I ever got into any of it you know, I'm like, I'm watching those guys on TV, you know, the Jimbo's and, and the Rick Dunn's and stuff like that, and I'm watching them, and then I start talking to them, you know, meeting, and it's like, holy crap, man, I was just watching this guy on TV six years ago thinking, man, that's what I want to do. My biggest dream in the world was to go hunt with these guys, and now it's like, hell, it's like they're offering me to go do it.
1: So it's just... Yeah, exactly. They, they became your peers instead of, you know, your, instead of your idols. It's a, it's a totally... It's a totally cool, you know, inclusive, you know, kind of, you know, kind of club. And, you know, for the most part, granted, we can all, you know, find one example, you know, one way or the other. But, like, as a whole, you know, the industry is just really, really fun to, be a part of, you know, and talk to guys. And so, it, you know, it reminds you how small it is and, you know, how much of a community, you know, this really is instead of being this, like, massive, you know, huge multi-billion dollar industry it's like nah man you know i can tell you on you know both hands how many guys have you know as much equipment as i do or you know anybody else like this is a lot tighter knit than you think
0: yeah it's stuff like this that through so much social media you get to talk to a lot of guys but it's stuff like you know guys doing the live videos and just showing the humility of call makers and decoy carvers and stuff like that i just find so interesting and i personally love it you know just because we're all from the same cut and uh just everybody you got to have almost an addictive personality to be a freaking waterfowl hunter in general but a call maker because you have to be obsessed with it and uh it's it's just fun man talking to guys and meeting guys that uh just have that same mindset
1: oh yeah dude like I said it's a it's one of the coolest experiences you know that I've been able to you know to, to have and do and like I said, the people that I've met the connections that we've made and, you know just through this you know through this particular portal and so it's like man this is you know this is a really cool thing to be able to connect with these guys on that level and do it and you know not necessarily have it be you know this this club that you like literally can't get into and so it's it's one of those one of the, one of the big, I will say, you know, feathers in the hat for, you know, the waterfowl and the call-making side of it is that, you know, hey, man, that that information's out there. It's a pretty inclusive thing, and if you're into it, you want to be a part of it, you're not necessarily going to be met with, you know, a lot of of backlash like you are with you know,
0: everything else. Well, yeah, it's like, if you look at the the other groups, the just general waterfowl groups, man, it's nothing but fighting oh, and pissing contests, and I think I've been banned from every one of those other major groups, if it's not no. call-making related. No, exactly, you know, on the call-maker side of
1: it, you know, I think all of us are a little bit, you know... Uh, a little bit more about keeping our nose clean and not, you know, being, you know, quote-unquote that guy, you know, on social media, but like, I mean, I know just as many guys that are, you know, weekend warrior badasses, that it's like, oh, does the face paint help? You didn't increase your bird limit. I don't know what to tell you. And it's just, it's just, it's like, absolutely explodes from that point, and then you start getting into the contest calling side of it, and like, Oh man, the you know the egos just start flying around, and it uh, it, it it gets pretty entertaining, there's no doubt.
0: Yeah, you definitely sometimes just have to sit back and watch, and <laughs>
1: oh no, yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta enjoy it. And I mean, like you know, I, I I like the contest side of life. I think it I think it's fun, it's healthy to you know throw out that competition. Like you said, I mean, I, I was listening to the Meredith, uh, you know that. BTB, and you did like way back in the beginning, he was talking about, you know, going over and having, you know, Whitson and Whalen and, you know, all those guys in the same room together. And it's like, well, if you're going to show up to this party, man, you better have thick skin. I mean, you want to have thick skin, man, go sit in a collar tent and hang out with those guys. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, that's a difficult thing.
0: Uh, have you done some competitions?
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean, you know, for for us competition stuff, you know, it's not it's not as crazy as it is, you know, on like the east coast where, you know, you you know, if you start going through a you know, a small amount of states, you I mean you can travel to each one of those stations a day, you know. I mean it's not not like a really huge thing. You know, out west contest calling is not as prevalent as it is kind of a you know, a dying sport thing, but man, you know, we try to get up there and, you know, grind with you know, some of the best on there. A lot, it's a lot of fun to get up there and compete against you know some of the Bill Saunders guys, and you know you get down to California and there's you know, actually a fair following from you know the R and t crowd, um, you know so you know getting on stage and you know competing on that level, it's just one more avenue that you know us as a company decided it was worth to pursue, and so you know we, we do quite often
0: very cool man and I don't know if you listened to the Rodney Hill I just had on the other day we were talking about competition calling and uh yeah no it
1: doesn't I mean Rodney travels he goes like Rogers and everything
0: doesn't he yeah yeah he was talking about traveling he hasn't done it as much lately and that's what what you're saying being out west you're just so far from everything like where I'm at I'm five hours away from every major competition aside from you know uh, the Oregon Waterfowl Festival and uh, game fair and stuff like that but you're talking about like egos and stuff like that. Um, those guys, man, y- you see them before the competition, and everybody smiles, laughs, and after the competition, it smiles and laughs. But then, uh, then, like you said, once once it's game time, man, that uh, that killer mindset just comes out and you do you i covered it you know that 2017 season pretty heavy and uh man that it just gets really heated and uh i don't know it's it's entertaining thing like i love it as a fan the competition and the mindset that those guys have and it's something that i think needs to be put out there more but uh yeah it's it's just a really interesting thing and guys have to understand that They'll see it on Facebook, different guys getting arguments and squabbles and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. But
1: well, and I mean, you know, I don't like to put him on blast or anything, you know, but like, you know, for instance, Trevor Shanahan, he's always the name that gets brought up. I actually had him out to the shop here, and he hung out with us, you know, for a couple days. We were working on some stuff with him, and uh, probably one of the coolest guys that you will ever meet in person.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, dude. I remember
1: sitting there talking to him, and it was like, dude, you're just a dick on Facebook, and he's like
0: candy yeah like, okay. dude i i freaking love I trev argue. man i love trev he's freaking hilarious and he is yeah, the great. most blunt person i've ever met oh, uh, but 100 he's even admitted it before and i said it on the rodney hill podcast he is the conor mcgregor of the calling world he talks <laughs> nonstop, and a lot of what he says is just blunt and honest or the way that he feels about it but he he makes himself the heel almost sometimes on purpose to get into other guys' heads.
1: A hundred percent, man. And, I mean, like I said, you've been you know, through enough competitions, you know, been in enough places. It is that. And, I mean, I remember playing, you know, baseball and, you know, football and all that stuff, and that was part of it. You know I mean? So this is this is no different than getting yourself jacked up, you know, for whatever sport you were going out and playing and doing everything else. So, you know, that, that contest side of thing, I think it gets a, A negative, like a negative feel from a lot of guys because they just don't like, you know, that kind of feedback. And, you know, don't get me wrong, it's definitely one of those things where, hey man, this is not the most popular thing in the world anymore. We need to encourage more people to get into it, not shy away from it. So, like, let's figure out how to be a little bit more positive. But, like, yeah. are getting on those little stages and you want those guys and it's like hey this is this is their sport so why would I expect them to dumb it down for you know anybody else I you want to win
0: well and I think from an outside perspective of a fan I think people have to understand what it is because if you look at a guy like Shanahan and I would just say him because he's that polarizing figure on Facebook you either love him or you hate him and uh, right. people have to understand what he's doing. It's a it's a game. He's you know the Floyd Mayweather, the Conor McGregor. It's it's a game, and there's there's different ways to play the game. You know, you look at a guy like a Logan Hancock, who's who's Peyton Manning. He's you know smiles, happy, nice as can be. He's going out there cold and calculated, and uh, that's just different personalities. And I think if more people saw it, rather than just going out there and being like oh these guys are a bunch of dicks like no it's it's not the way that it is it's everybody's got their role in the way that they're playing it and a lot of it's mental and hell man it it, you grow up with guys doing you know if you play football with guys from kindergarten all the way to you know the end of high school you're going to be the best of buddies so if you're a competition caller who has been calling with guys for freaking 15 years you're probably going to be pretty tight and then if somebody's from a different area you're probably not going to be as close with them, you know. It's
1: just... <laughs> yeah, man. Just, you know, just kind of, just, just kind of. So, I, you know, dude, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those touchy subjects most guys, do, you know. I mean, my my favorite argument from somebody is, you know, always like. Um, or like that, And it's like, man, it's not really the point of what these guys are doing. And so it's it's fun to explain that, you know, to people and you know, be involved with that side of it, you know, wherever you can. And uh, you know, and some of the call makers that are out there trying to, you know, bring stuff back into it, you know, like Stump doing what he's doing, you know, over in uh, I think it's North Carolina, his duck calling thing. You know, the amount of guys he's got fired up, ready to go you know, compete and do that kind of thing. It's it's cool to see that
0: kind of effort being put into it. Yeah, and I'm glad that there's people out there that are trying to take the steps. And I think Teddy Hoover is doing a really, really good job in Easton. Yeah, keeping, great. Dude, I, that is one of the nicest guys. And he's just so good for the sport. And, um, it's like you said, that it, that stupid argument. I live stream worlds that you know, in seventeen, and that was every third comment. Oh, ducks don't sound like that. I kill the judges and stuff like that. I'm like, oh
1: yeah, I kill the ju- I kill my judges. Like, oh, yeah.
0: Buddy. Well, guess <laughs> oh, it's like, guess what, motherfucker? Hendrix can play the hell out of a guitar, but he doesn't do it in every single <laughs> song that he had.
1: It just doesn't work that way, man. It doesn't work that way. And I mean, you can't tell me don't get me wrong. I'm not going out and blowing a you know seventeen note highball. At a group of ducks. That's not the point. I'm proving how hard I can operate that call. You show me a really good contest caller, and I bet that guy knows how to call birds. He may not be the greatest hunter ever, but. I bet he knows how to make the notes when he needs to make the notes.
0: Well, and it's like hell 80% of them are either guides, call makers, or they freaking work in call shops 80%, you know, most of the
1: time. Uh, yeah, no. You know, and I mean, and that that seems to be, you know, a standard progression as well. You know, I mean, a lot of the, you, know, you look at the history where these guys are at, and it's the same thing. You know, they got brought up under, you know, somebody's wing. They made it to the top. They won something. And then, suppressed surprise, surprise comes a call company right after that. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, God, this is, you know, this is kind of how it works. and So, but, you know, it's, it's cool to see, you know, that lineage and trace it back to, you know, a lot of the call makers that, you know, guys know and love and, you know, and follow really well. They did come up through the contest circuit. That's why you bought their call. That's why you took, you know, that information from them. So, you know, for a lot of guys on, you know, call nuts or other various things to try to, to, try to tear that down, it's, you know, not, it's just not something that, you know, we we went for it It was like no man we need to we need to stick our heads in the middle of this not shy away from it and then you know argue that it was a good thing that we did
0: that well yeah and it's you know it's just like call making it's guys that are looking to stay involved with waterfowl hunting because we all have addictive personalities and want to be around something that we love as long as we can because you know those 60 to 90 days are They're pretty freaking short, man. So it's it's everybody has the same mindset. Well, not the same mindset. Everybody has the same passion for this, you know, this hunting thing. And uh we're all just doing the same thing, trying to be involved in waterfowling as long as we can during the off season. And if guys started looking at it with a different attitude and uh positive look, that uh you know, it would just be better for everybody. And I think this the age of social media has helped a lot and it's, it's hurt a lot of things with stuff like that.
1: Yeah. You know, it goes, it goes both sides. I I, I can think back now, I mean, even just lately with, you know, the COVID stuff, a lot of these contests and get togethers and things have been canceled, postponed, moved. And so, you know, guys put together that, you know, live con contest that was on there that's great uh, you know you're getting guys that are picking the call up blowing stuff and it's in you know a setting that they may be more comfortable because I you know I can tell you the, the first time I got up on uh, up on the stage it was like you can literally see my hand shaking before the guys like <laughs> do you want to warm up and it's like nah, dah, dah, I forgot what, the, what do I do <laughs> Like you gotta you got stand over here kid <laughs> oh, God, uh, oh,
0: God. if you go back uh, you and know. you listen to uh, Colton Jones or uh, Colton Thompson's podcast man I was thinking of kyle jones you were talking about that live feed but uh if you listen to colton thompson's podcast he talked about the first time he got on stage he walked off right afterwards or right in the middle of his routine and went and threw up
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was like i get it man we've been back there before and i watched you know i watched another guy who was like oh the nerves never go but not even at all just literally cracked the fireball drinks it, and then pops up and just, nope, <laughs> goes up and blows, and it was like, oh man, okay, cool, <laughs> this is be fun
0: it goes back to that adage this guy likes the party i like
1: it jeez what's up no man i mean you know the contest things you know it's like you can you can beat know beat that horse to death and it's it's too bad that it's not you know as you know highly crowded as it once was but you know it's just it's one of those things you know it's going to come around you know and hopefully you know people get more involved with it and you know do do some more stuff with it and you know at least a positive things
0: Well, and I think that uh, a lot of the newer guys, the younger guys, are really good ambassadors. Like I said, Teddy is amazing for the sport. Freaking Kyle has organized so many online things, and he's been amazing for the sport as a champion. And I know, uh, you know, it's just that there's a lot. Seth Fields has been amazing for it and really helped grow. And, uh, man, there's just – so many good guys that i think that old getting in fights in the parking lot you know thing is is a way of the past and i think that's what turned off a lot of people in the uh in the mid-2000s, not mid-2000s, but, you know, the the early teens. And I, I haven't followed it that long, so I don't want to speak like I know what the hell I'm talking about, but that's just what no, it no, seems no. like and, to me. And you're,
1: you're right, you know, with the rise of, you know, a lot of the social media platforms and things. I mean, you know, and you, you see it even on the call-making circles, you know, guys making fun of, you know, the, the pro-staff armies. And like, oh, look, here here comes the flat-bill brigade. And it's like, oh, boy, okay, so there's, you know, a whole nother side of this that gets... You know, thrown out there a lot, and it, it, you know, some of it shed in a very negative light in the call making circles, but not necessarily in the water fouling circles. It's just, it's such a weird, it's such a weird dynamic between all of them.
0: Well, and that's the thing is every generation thinks the generation below them is the worst generation ever. <laughs>
1: you know, it's, you're exactly right.
0: Man. It's just the way that history, and the thing is, you have to embrace it and, uh, you know, find a way to get along and, You know, just try to see what people are coming from, and if you want waterfowling to continue the way that it has been, then uh, people have to get along, man, and really uh, remember what it's all about.
1: Oh, no, dude, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. You don't want to... You know, exclude people. You don't want to, you know, do anything crazy. You you already have a you know group of hunters here where hunters get enough pressure, you know, as it is. So why do we want to continue to you know fight amongst ourselves? I'm not saying you know like healthy competition ain't a good thing, but like to literally sit here and try to tear down you know what other people are doing, or you know just get overly negative with them over. It. You know, realistically, you know, m- you know moot points when it comes right down to it. You know why? It doesn't add any value. So
0: you know, try to add value instead of you know to rip it all out of it. Well, and you know, just like what you said, uh, it's you see stuff like that. And me, myself, you know, how the hell could I ever talk crap to somebody or be negative towards somebody when I see a guy like you know Aaron Winger or a Brad Samples or Ronnie Turner, Mike Stelsner being the very first guys to reach out and help a new guy. The the oh, best exactly. in the world are the most humble guys that I've ever talked to, and it's like, how could you possibly be somewhere in between there and think that you're going to talk down to somebody else? So it's just that's the way that I think is the right the right way to carry yourself, and I I think that you're in the same mindset. Oh,
1: um, you know, 100. Like I said, you gotta you gotta pay homage to you know the guys that came before you, and, I mean, the, and the names that you threw out there. You know, I mean, I could probably add you know four or five to them that have been you know very very helpful, very forthcoming, very, you know, accepting of, you know, us jumping in here and, you know, guys like John Kept, you know, you just can't, you can't argue, you know, against them in that, you know, in that manner. And it's not, it's not even that you want to, you know, it's like, Hey, the call making side of this has, a whole different feel and a whole different club than the guys that i'm going to go race at the refuge to get to
0: my spot yep yeah it's a it's a very unique brotherhood and it's something that i i just love so much and i love doing the podcast for just that reason because we're all so similar minded and it's really fun to just hear guys histories and how they got into it, and uh, we'll get off that soapbox about that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> no,
1: I hear, you, I hear you. I've been dragging that out for a while. But like, now, I mean, you're like you're, even you're just listening to you know your your podcast, seeing the maker, seeing where they're from, you know, doing the other stuff. It's 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 been really cool. You know, I've I've enjoyed it. I uh, started listening to these right around the time I think you did the second. You know, Mister Mig and granted It's been sporadic. You know, here and there. But you know, you're sitting here grinding away. Wait for a barfi cycle to finish. It's it's kind of cool to listen to you know Brad Samples telling me about his feathered inserts and I'm like that'd be way more fun than just watching this band spit off. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. About I, something here.
0: Man, I'm a freaking podcast addict because I'm just always doing something else and it's like I always have a, a earbud in or something like that. So I'm the same way. And uh, when I first started doing it, it was like a couple of weeks of being set and then all the crazy COVID stuff happened. And I was like, uh, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. And I got lazy. <laughs> and then it, April rolled around. March rolled around. I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta fire this thing back up because I, I loved it and I need to get back to it. So it's been really fun, man. It's been enjoyable and it's something that I started out and I thought it was gonna be interesting to do. And it's something that I love just as much as call making, even though it takes away time from call making.
1: No, nah, I hear you man but nah, I mean you know, Chris it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a little show it's a cool avenue and you know it's uh it's really awesome to be able to hear the other perspectives from you know other partners and other you know other different backstories and just gain you know, gain a lot of perspective from the other people that you see in the industry because I mean I think you mentioned a few times in our podcast you only see you know what, what somebody's willing to post on social media and it's like Yeah, where's all all the where's where's all the bad stuff? Because I know that he's making that look way easier than what it what it really is. So like, (laughs) let's hear
0: about it. Yeah, exactly. You you watch uh Brad Samples do a feathered band demonstration on you know the live feed or whatever, and he's just over here flicking his wrist and he turns out a freaking feathered carved band in like two and a half minutes, and I was like. Okay that's phenomenal. Then I talked to him and he's like, oh no, it takes way freaking longer than that when I first started And he's like, now it's just muscle memory
1: <laughs> right It, it just kind of just kind of falls into place at this point so
0: <laughs> Well, I appreciate it brother when is the Pacific call shop getting I, I know you're in the shop working now when are you guys getting back to normal man? is it is it starting to level out out there?
1: Yeah I mean you know a little bit Washington has you know kind of this you know. Whole, you know multi-phase you know back to normal thing going on and so technically spokane county where we're at is in you know phase two right now which means like you can go to a restaurant but you can't be there with more than five people and You know, they are controlling how many people go in and out, and, you know, like, myself in my day job, you know, I mean, I'm wearing, you know, a mask and gloves every time I get in and out of a car with a kid, they've got to disinfect stuff, so, I mean, we're, you know, we're slowly working our way back to where it's at, Um, you know, luckily for, you know, us in the Pacific side of things, I don't have, like, a retail space where people can, you know, like, come in and out, I mean, my building's a warehouse, we, we work here, and so, you know, when it was pretty gnarly in the phase one side of things, we just kind of like swap schedules and so like i would come up in the morning make all the parts and then you know my main employee stefan would come in after that and work through these and then trev would come in after the real estate thing and you know work through the laser and stuff so just kind of leapfrogged each other to not you know be in violation but also not shut
0: down very cool, brother. Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys are getting back to normal, and uh, I hope that that doesn't mean that the customs go away because I've really enjoyed seeing it, man. But I understand when when time gets short if you have to get away from that side of things. But I'm glad that you gave me some time tonight, brother. I, I love the work that you've been putting out. I'm really, really impressed. Like I said, it the custom work that you're putting out is like holy hell this guy's never missed a beat you you would think that you were out there turning customs every night
1: I mean I, mean, I you know I really appreciate the kind words like I said it you know this guy's like you know yourself there are keeping this you know kind of going and you know seeing what you're spitting out and everybody else it's, uh, it's definitely a side of the call making aspect that you know I lost a lot of, you know, perspective with, and it was like, hey, this is just, you know, these guys doing stuff, and like, I, I'm stoked, I got hit up by, uh, you know, Kevin Fiedler, and he was like, yo, you want to trade, and I was like, oh, we we can do that kind of thing? Like, <laughs> I had no idea, so like, I get to build my first trade call with a guy here, you know, this next week, so I'm I'm pretty jacked on, you know, doing, doing some of these things from a more, you know, call maker community-based thing, instead of just like, I made all this stuff, now somebody buy it. Oh, wait, never
0: mind. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you ever get to that point, brother, I'd be glad and honored to do a trade call with you it seems like the more of these things that I do, the longer the list of trade calls that I've added to my collection.
1: Well, no, hey, man, I've been, I've been listening. I know you're a Buckeye guy, so I got a piece of Buckeye sitting over here. i put your name on it a little while ago. So I was like, well, you know, hey, if you're going to ask me on the podcast, man, I'm going to have to trade him a call or something. So Heck I just yeah, got man. Your name on it.
0: I appreciate that. And like I said, brother, I really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, thanks for giving me some time tonight, man.
1: Uh, dude, thanks for thanks for hosting yeah this is great.
0: And uh, I told Trev that uh, as season gets closer, we can uh, we can try to set up another one so he can join in on this thing. And we'll uh, we'll schedule it out to where he can jump in, and we can get you both guys back on here and see what life is like once it gets back to normal. Oh man, I'm
1: I'm hoping that uh, you know if you do that again, man, we'll be in hunting season and tell some way more entertaining stories than what what I've been able to throw down because man, that uh, you know that kid's a killer.
0: <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it, brother.
1: Cool, right on. Good talk <laughs> to Chris. Thanks. Buddy.
0: All right, man. Take it easy. <laughs> see ya. Thanks. All right, guys, that was Alex Yurgis out of Pacific Calls out in Spokane, Washington. His stuff is amazing. Uh, His custom work, man, I just, I had no idea. When I started following Pacific, they had uh, been doing a lot of acrylics and CNC's, and they'd always had really cool calls and uh, really interesting designs that I'd always been a fan of. But seeing him turn out customs, I was like, I got to get this dude on the podcast. So, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Super nice guy. Make sure you get on there for the Duck Call giveaway. You only got probably the rest of this week. So uh, this is going to come out Friday at some point. Friday, the end of May, whatever the the heck the date is. 29th, something like that. And um, probably have till the first second, something like that. And uh, we'll do the Duck Call giveaway on Facebook. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, BTBN. Um, Facebook, BTBN, check out Unstable Calls if you want a a paperweight that uh, looks kind of cool. And uh, I appreciate you guys for following along. Thanks a lot.